0: Welcome to the Read Optional Podcast. We are taping this on a Wednesday evening. I'm joined on the line by Mark Bullock, brilliant Washington Commander's writer, uh, talker, and as I always say, every single thing he does, which is why I encourage people to go to subscribe to his Substack, can be viewed in a national prism because he just writes brilliantly about football concepts and you can extrapolate them for your own team away from all the sludge. That ends up being commander's football and as i was just telling Mark, because i tell him every single time he joins me on the program like twice a year at this point is i want him on all the time and then they are either uninteresting or bad or the things about them are nationally scandalous and so to have him come on to discuss gap scheme concepts seems inappropriate but we have some actual fun interesting stuff discuss with the commanders today but before we get to that we will of course address mark the fact you were just telling me how frustrating it was to be excited by having one of the most interesting hires on offense in the recent memory of the nfl Um, to then have to wake up to once again to who's going to buy the team What has our scandal riddle owner done again we cut the quarterback it's terrible trade who's going to take the blame for the trade who's going to buy the team it must just be exhausting
1: I mean, it hundred percent is exhausting at this point. Like, even like, what half an hour before we started recording, there was this report from the NFLPA today about how terrible the they they kind of surveyed um players a lot across the leagues, like who's got the best facilities and training staff and all this stuff. And the Commanders are predictably dead last in just about every category. Um, and again, that speaks to more nonsense from Snyder and how he's not been investing anything in the team and. God, it it is tiresome. Like this time a week ago, we were all the whole fan base was like excited, and it's oh, there's a new era, and it's Eric Bieniemy, and there there's some hope that the offense might be exciting, and it it's taken like less than a week for it to suddenly turn around back to, you know, Dan Snyder's doing this and Dan Snyder's doing that, and the league doesn't is unhappy with him, and they want him out now, and and it's just getting messier and messier and messier, and, messier, and it it probably will continue to do that until he's eventually
0: outed. Um, and and hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. And this is the thing with Dan Snyder. He's always there for you. He's always there. For you. Just <laughs> It's like James Dolan with the Knicks, right? Just when you get a little bit excited, he's always there to whatever James Dolan, I think, stole fans data. Dan Snyder says, I'm not selling to Bezos, even though Bezos is offering like a billion dollars more than everyone else and would immediately rename him the, the Washington Primes, which I'm all for. <laughs> and then you would have the best facilities. You'd play on the moon or whatever Bezos would want to do. You'd have the best facilities, you'd sign all the coaches. Uh, but Dan is like, no, he's a kid. He's thrown his toys out the pram and he refuses to sell to the cool kid who everyone wants. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, just from a
1: business standpoint, like not... I understand that there's this, I mean, the grudge that he's holding against Bezos makes no sense to me whatsoever. I don't know if there's other stuff, but the idea that Bezos bought the Washington Post to <laughs> to report on stories about Dan Snyder and that is what's forcing Snyder out of the NFL is nonsense because the Washington Post has been reporting on Dan Snyder long before Bezos bought them. And every other news outlet in the United States has been reporting on Dan Snyder and his nonsense antics for years. So like that whole idea of that grudge is is ludicrous to me. But on top of that to be like, okay, well I'm holding this grudge against Bezos. He's not even allowed to bid on the team. Like, why would you not allow the richest guy possible to make an offer and force everyone else to bid up to reach him? Like I I kind of understand if you were talking about the difference between like seven billion and six point eight billion then you maybe you're like okay, well I'm willing to hold a grudge for two hundred million dollars. That's that's fine, but to lose out on like potentially a billion dollars, like <laughs> it, how petty do you have to be? And I say that knowing that Dan Snyder is probably the pettiest man on the planet. So, but even that, like losing out on that much money for for a grudge is it, it's insane. The, the whole thing is insane.
0: It is, and it's just the most wonderful, like Shakespearean billionaire nonsense ever. It's gonna make like a either an amazing social network style film, or like the most torturous like TV movie, <laughs> social network <laughs> style film of these these uh, dorks going back and forth over having you know a cool jock thing. That's kind of what's happening here, and it's a full dick measuring contest between these two guys. <laughs> and the idea of the conspiracy, how no one. And I, these lawyers cannot be paid enough to put up with this guy's nonsense <laughs> that they have to every day. And I, I know lawyers make a lot of money. That's a lot of billable hours. He's very rich. It cannot be worth it to be on those calls with those FedEx guys who also have a lot of money, have to talk through the nonsense he's doing again. But the conspiracy falls, the, the, the business would walk in and say to Sally Jenkins, keep writing columns so that I can buy the commanders falls apart when one, he has more money than everyone on earth. So he could just buy any TV wants basically at any time because he can just keep upping the bid and two when all the allegations are substantiated or investigated by you know the fbi for instance or congress you know they start to fall apart when they're true it's not a conspiracy yep. the things leveled at you by pulitzer prize winning reporters turn out to be accurate that's not a conspiracy <laughs> yeah that, i mean the idea that bezos walked
1: into a room and went hey guys Forget about, you know, the, the presidential race. Let's go after Dan Snyder. It, it's insane. It's insane. And, like, I, I I know some of the people at the Washington Post. I, I worked there years ago, and I had very few contacts with most of the people, but I did know a few of the people. I met a few of the people, and they, they never had any contact with Bezos. They, Bezos wasn't coming into the office going... Hey John, how you doing? Let's report about this today. Like that's that's. Bezos is on a golf course with some other billionaires talking
0: nonsense to them. He, he's not worried about that, so it's he's, it's he's insane. Trying to fly to the moon, people. I don't <laughs> think he cares about that stuff. As if he would walk in and say, "Enough of January sixth. Enough of January sixth. We've got real <laughs> stuff to dig up." On a football owner the thing with bezos too that's peculiar that i've talked about this forever because i talked to a lot of the washington post reporters when this was happening trying to find out genuinely was there any kind of pressure thing i looked into it to see what the deal was obviously there never was no one ever speaks to him it would make no sense him it's as if him talking frankly to like his amazon package workers that's where they fall on the org chart compared to where he is it's just the washington post is famous that's the only difference right um it's just yeah what what a what a wild wild situation and i do now very much enjoy the game of thrones of the other owners who are like we have to get rid of him but he's been on all the whatsapp chains (laughs) the last 15 years he's hired these strange private investigators to look into all of us and goodell so they're all treading around it and then there's the fact where they all still love the cash and having bezos around ups the franchise values for everyone so they desperately want him in the club even though they can't compete with him. And one thing that happened when I looked into like the the Bezos getting into the league, I was doing a piece for the Guardian about it. Everyone at Amazon said, Jeff, this is back in the kind of, uh, you know, before he said he was giving all his money away, he was basically a megalomaniac. Everyone remember those 24 months when he just (laughs) thought, I can own the world. Yeah, Uh, He had to come to Jesus moment. He was like, I'm going to buy the league. I don't buy franchises. I have more money than everyone. He wanted to own the NFL as in like have prime broadcast all the games. That was kind of the big payoff goal was we get Thursday night football. We buy Monday night football, Sunday night football. And then all of a sudden we have all of the NFL. He had no interest in a team. So to think it's some kind of long running conspiracy as opposed to it's now for sale. He has more money than sense; It makes some sense to own them. And then he's in the cool kids club and doesn't have to deal with the faff of like being the only television partner, which you'll probably wind up still doing. It's just it's just a nonsense but it is quite fun to watch from afar outside of the awful stuff that Snyder <laughs> continues to do yeah it's um the the whole thing about like the
1: the ongoing back and forth now between like the rest of the owners in the league and 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 Snyder like Snyder's bitter enough to try to take people down with him but i don't think he quite understands that if he make, brings other people down with him that's only going to devalue the value of his own franchise <laughs> <laughs> like, if if he's taking half the league down with him and, and being exposing it, well, A, great, they should all be exposed for any nonsense that they're covering up anyway. But B, like, he brings down the entire value of the league and, like, he could cut his franchise value in half more maybe? I don't know. Like, it, the idea that he's going to be threatening 31 other owners going, like, I've got dirt on all of you. Uh, I'll take you down with me it's like well okay you take us down with you 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 basically get nothing as a result so what's the point um so yeah it's I mean, from from an outsider's perspective I'm sure it, it's other than obviously the the terrible stuff snyder has done the the kind of back and forth I'm sure is very um fun to watch but when you're on the inside of it and you're you're trying to focus on the enemy running some nice schemes then the next day you wake up and snyder's done some more crazy shit um it's it's frustrating to keep up with
0: the, the, the only funny part is them like fighting back and forth over hiding you know some funds that were like non-nfl activity but he's supposed to report as nfl activity and they're, they're haggling over to them pennies when he's gonna sell the franchise for seven billion dollars yeah. he's trying to keep 10 grand under the sofa just <laughs> case (laughs) he's just the smallest human and that's why he might bring the league down because he's the smallest human and uh he doesn't like getting kicked out of the club um yeah so for you you're sat there you want to just chart third down packages you're like me that's (laughs) what we do one day is we sit chart third down packages you've had to deal with this nonsense so let's get uh the enemy of it all then that's why i asked you to do this it's as i said at the top one of the most unusual hires ever frankly um a guy with that resume Whatever you want to get into, all the notion of the play calling versus game planning, all that stuff we know, factually, someone with that resume always gets a head coaching gig, whether they're good at it or not. This is not the pod. We don't do that. We're not going to get into all the, the racial elements of the hiring and all that stuff. There's smart people in us that can break all that down. But as a commander's analyst, you wind up with someone who is considered to run the most innovative offense in the league if not what well, at least they're alongside the eagles right that they do the most creative things he's had this wizard at quarterback he's had this wizard above him help craft all the plays and call the plays and it's just the most fascinating thing to see what he's going to be like out of that ecosystem where he's dropped into not an ideal situation not a place where it's saying come and rejuvenate the end of a hall of famous career you know bring your great offense to if it was like Matthew Stafford lingering in Detroit right bring him into this uber talented guy it's like you get Sam Howell and the owner might change in four weeks um, and then the coach will probably be gone in 12 months (laughs) so it's it's (laughs) so so strange it's
1: it's a very very weird situation and uh I I think all the stuff that you mentioned that we won't go into about the why he hasn't been hired as a head coach yet obviously leads to him having to kind of find a different way about it obviously he wasn't going to get that head coaching job while working under Andy Reid because there was just too much of the other stuff going on there so he had to get out of there and It's odd that the the one job that he ended up with was with Washington. And obviously part of that this year is that um, he couldn't interview elsewhere because it wasn't for a head coaching job. It was for an offensive coordinator job. And they kept playing. They kept winning. They got to the Super Bowl. So Washington themselves were one of the only two or three teams that were patient enough to wait for that opening um and wait for to interview him and I think the Ravens were the other team that were going to talk to him and then they ended up hiring Todd Munkin like the week before the Super Bowl so um basically his only option if he wanted to sort of branch out and try to go his own way was was coming to Washington and it, it's definitely a strange decision and he 100% based on his resume like other guys as you said have have, have had head coaching jobs on far lesser resumes than what he's put together. So um, it's a shocking thing that he is coming to Washington, but from my point of view as a Washington analyst, I'm I'm, I'm excited to see how much of that offense he can, or at least the structure of the offense he can, he can translate to Washington. Um, And I think, you know, if, if it's even a decent or, Better than average offense, then I think that is a, a pretty big tick in his own resume of being like, okay, I am for real. I'm not just, you know, the guy that writes down Andy Reid's notes. I'm I'm my own guy on my own right, and and I, he'll be a head coach in a year's time.
0: And that is the thing for him, right, is that the baseline, I I think there's a perception maybe among people who are very friendly to be enemy because they see some of the injustice that's gone on in the hiring process, that they think the bar's going to be really high in Washington now, like it's going to have to be really successful. I'm actually not so sure. I think that getting there, having full authority and just not falling on his face, I and mean, being yeah, able to either help Sam Howell along or if they landed there or if they end up trading for a quarterback and that person having a good, successful season say it's a rookie in whatever way you would describe that as like just looking competent let's say kind of the kenny pickettish year where he looks borderline competent in stretches would be almost enough to say okay so he could do it himself outside of the orbit of reed now i don't think he needed to do that personally um and it does come down to this question that i wanted to ask you off the top really as we get into some of what went wrong with scott turner where you have this thing where. I don't think from the outside quite people understand the collaborative nature of building out a game plan, then calling plays. And you see this a lot with Sean McVay where people think he calls all the plays. And Sean McVay changes how he's involved in the game plan and play calling process on a year to year and sometimes week to week basis. I mean, Mike McDaniel last year changed every other week who was calling the plays? whether he was calling the plays? they're all on the headset and he's just saying no yes no cool and then they had all these communication issues right because he was like i'm taking it back over um and you have certain people in a building and to me one of the huge, huge things for a head coach probably the biggest thing is just self-awareness what am i good at and can i surround myself with the best people to fill in all the holes in my game year to year to make me better at stuff and the thing that andy Reid has said constantly about eric the is as game plan builders go he has not found many people better right that their entire calling card as people listen to my podcast will hit hear, have heard me bang on about non-stop is they learn your defensive rules better than anyone, and they break you over their knee because they use your rules against you. They will adjust the depth of routes, they'll adjust the option element within route patterns to attack the specifics of whatever your defensive rules are. They get into one formation, they motion or shift out of it to, for you to set your rules, they see the check, they go, yep, that's the rule we know from film study, and they run a concept to just rupture that rule. And that's why guys are wide open all the time in that offense. So whether or not he can call the plays to me, I don't care. I thought Scott Turner was a good play designer and often fell short as a game day play caller. That You need all of those people in the building. Whether the enemy's good at calling the plays or not isn't as relevant to me. Is he good enough to build out that game plan if that's his major asset and then to have the self-awareness to hire someone to help him call the plays on game day and then have need to override it on the headset the way most of the head coaches do in the league?
1: Yeah, and I think that was the... So the, the, there's a, f- a fair bit to unpack there, but that that was the thing for the enemy that stood out to me when watching the Chiefs' offense was yeah they do all this innovation and um they have the the trick plays down at the goal line and the shovel pass to Travis Kelsey or the the what was it the ring around the posy formation <laughs> lineup whatever that is they they have all these trick plays and that's great but on just a down to down basis they it it's not that they're massively innovative it's that they. They scout the opposing defense so well, and they don't just know. Okay, on on first and ten, they have a tendency to use this front and and this coverage behind it. It's th- they they know a coverage, and they know, as you mentioned, the coverage rules, and they know how to break those rules. And so, as you said, they they just generate so many, and it's quite often the first read that's wide open, and Patrick Mahomes is able to sit there. And as long as you, you have a quarterback that's able to digest the, the pre-snap information that is given to him from obviously throughout the week with the game planning, but also when they line up and, as you said, they they line up in a formation and they shift or they motion out of it and and that gives them the check that they want to see, okay, is that the look that we're looking to attack? Yes, I know where to go with the ball. As long as you're understanding that pre-snap, post-snap, your first read more than not is there. And, and that is that is to me the brilliance of what the Chiefs offense is is that yes they have all this amazing stuff where if a play doesn't break down Patrick Mahomes can scramble around for 15 minutes and find Travis Kelsey 90 yards down the field like that's outstanding but you that's not replicatable like no nobody else can do that and so if you can provide that same structure where you're finding consistently breaking down how a defense lines up how they're what their coverage structure but not just their structure the the rules within that structure and knowing how to break those rules and then i think that's something that the chiefs do so well with like bunch sets and 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 motioning in and out of bunch sets is that they can they can gather the information of how teams like to play that I, i'm i'm like 90% sure the first thing the chiefs will do every week is how does the opposing defense Handle bunch sets, and they will probably just put on the film of bunch sets and be like, "Okay, we know what they're going to do, and we will attack that." Um, and and so they they generate a credible an incredible amount of first or second reads that are just wide open. Um And so that if you can pre- if he can bring that structure to Washington, the play calling obviously matters to an extent, and and being able to set things up and and s- sequential play calling matters, but. If you're game planning to that extent, it, it kind of, in theory, should come naturally because you should know in certain situations, this is the look you're going to get, and this is the design of play we had to beat that look. Um, so the play calling should come naturally if the game planning is, as we kind of expect, so the, the the big thing that the enemy's good at. Um, so I, I, I think if he's able to replicate that structure and you have guys that can win quickly like Terry McLaurin John Dotson, and Johan Dotson and Curtis Samuel. Uh if, if Sam Howell can use his quick release and and get the ball out on time and then relatively accurately, I, I I don't see why he couldn't be successful and have a good year and and that should be enough for Bienname to be like, okay, look, I'm I'm bloody good at this. Give yeah. me a head
0: coaching job somewhere. The thing that really stands out when you're talking about breaking the rules is that short motion package, which got a lot of play during the Super Bowl, right? Because I can't remember how many touchdowns they scored off that. Now, they definitely hit the, the shot to Kelsey, but they do it all the time. Almost It looks almost bizarre because he's just strolling around. It's, just, it's not even really even a traditional short motion. Part of that is the freedom they give players which is he is just allowed to walk in their offense. He's allowed to walk. He's allowed to pitch the ball on option players after the catch. It's, it's, it's a lot of freedom, right? They have freedom of route depth. They just get open, basically. We'll throw you the ball. It's unusual in that sense. But it's a great example. You mentioned the bunch sets there. The next level of thinking they have is that not only are we going to evaluate all the bunch sets, obviously, we'll look at the bunch sets with how do they react to the bunch based on if the best player is isolated on the backside. Okay. So that's the trigger. So we see what the check is. So what if we isolate Travis on the backside and then we short motion someone else into the bunch? Now we know the rule because they've shown us on film. What do they do when the best players isolate on the backside and there's a bunch to the side? And that's how they're able to say, well, then if we just run, you know, a spot concept off it, then number one has to be open. There's no way in their rules it can't be, unless they've changed their rules, which then they shake hands and say, good luck to you. And they, they move on. And then they go for the next drive. Well, now we know what the rules they're running is this week. And that's how they got Gannon in the Super Bowl, right? Was we know what their rules are, which is why we can fake the jet stuff that was, you know, very popular after the fad. And the they were checking to see, has he adjusted his rules from the game? Oh, no, let's run it again then. He's not changed his rules. These guys will be wide open. One's an RPO, one's a straight drop. The first one was the RPO when they were testing the rule. They proved the rule and then they said, okay, let's just run it, drop back. This will be wide open. And it was the second time. So, that to me, as you said, if you have that mindset and you are considered like that, that was Eric Biennami's job. It's the same with the McVeigh tree. I just don't think people will comprehend how collaborative the process is. The Rams have guys who call one down. It's like they spend all week saying, you are our second and medium guy. Come up with the eight best plays, tell Sean, and then he'll say, cool. So who is calling that play? Is McVeigh calling the play because he said cool? Or is it the guy who spent all week panicking, sweating, not sleeping, drinking yeah. Red Bull to come up with eight plays a second and medium, right? It's yeah. uh, all the different ranges that comes up in different packages. So uh, to, uh, to think we're in this old school thing where there's some like authoritarian play call, where it's like, it's just this, we all want just like this one, gr oh, he comes up with all the plays. He designs all the plays. He installs all the plays. He calls all the plays. It's just not how the thing works. And so it's, it's, I think it's a misunderstanding and clearly from the league and particularly ownership too, of what that process really looks like. We've seen dictatorial play calls over the last couple of years fall on their face because that's just not really the structure where the league's going now. You have to have a whole staff who can help build out the plan for you, who have different segments and plan different things. And then you just have an overall vision of what he wanted to look at like. And then someone has to be a master of the feel and flow of the game and then of the sequencing of the play calling. Now, if that's McVeigh straw on the sideline with everything in his head as the calls come into him, that's great. If it's the enemy in a booth sitting and plotting it out in himself and he's very good at that, that's great. But I'm pretty cool if my OC, my head coach, like their number one trait is that they're a great game plan architect. Because I feel like we can figure out someone in the building some 32-year-old intern is going to be good at saying, call that one now then. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah I, I would think so. And and that's the thing that you hear about the enemy is that he and Andy Reid kind of work collaboratively, not just during the week, but from a drive-to-drive basis where they would, after the end of a drive, they would sit and talk together about, okay, what was working? What did we see against certain things? And um, was our game plan working or do we need to adjust or can we keep going back to this or is it just a small adjustment or do we need to throw that away completely and and I mean the, the results are staggering the, the Chiefs offense for the last five years has been insane so um, yeah I, you would think you would think someone by now would would see past the kind of oh it's just Andy Reid uh, and, and it's all Andy Reid and it's all Patrick Mahomes and, and enemy didn't really do anything like enemy, clearly had a, a big impact and, and the amount of players that came out on his side after he'd got hired and, and congratulating him and stuff and, and defending him after the McCoy, you know, talked bad about him that that says to me that he had connections in that locker room and, and built relationships in that locker room and, and players respected him and, and liked him. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think he, I think he should be able to provide that kind of structure in washington and i think that would be a huge plus and a huge kind of a feather in his cap that he is better than what a lot of the ownership clearly thinks he is
0: andy reed uh in the post football press conference spoke about on the the two touchdown plays that he was getting the credit for for being the genius he said that like five staff members came up with that and they wouldn't tell him who <laughs> who came up with the specific plays because they didn't they didn't want to give the, they wanted to do it as a staff and he just kept saying at the podium it was all eric it was all eric got that off the staffers you know filtered through the good stuff and then handed it to me And no one would say who was what because that's how real teams work is they don't say like oh it was dave and dave wants the credit because dave wants to be a head coach next season those <laughs> staffs who are like that usually everyone's out of the building inside two seasons because they all hate each other and they leak constantly that's how <laughs> that's how it goes in real football um Let's just roll back quickly to Scott Turner and what went wrong yeah. there. As I said, and I've written about this a bunch, I really do believe if you just go, f- if you just lined up who is, and I think this is about Cliff Kingsbury too, and Cliff Kingsbury gets dunked on an awful lot. If you just said, here are the fifteen best play designs of the season from each team. I think Scott Turner came up with some really cool, creative play designs every season. Cliff Kingsbury, some really wonky, mad, doing ayahuasca, whatever he does in his downtime stuff, where he came up with really cool, creative stuff. And I thought the sequential play calling let them down. And then some of the specific details, which is a big problem I have with someone like Mike LaFleur with the Jets, for example. Good macro, offensive philosophy. The details of what they're running in uh, particularly in Washington last season in the gap scheme run game really odd timing always guys stepping on it to the running and stuff like really nitty gritty details timing of motion was bizarre in a lot of that offense or oh, the screen game was corrupted same thing happened with the jets too um I-, I thought that some of the sequential play calling the becoming predictable on you know when you're going to throw and when you're going to run and specific concepts was there to the details. Like I mentioned of things within the play that kind of abort the play on you. Cause just the, the coaching and the teaching is bad, but the general offense I thought was okay. Would that be a, a fair reading?
1: Yeah. That's kind of similar to how I see it. I, I, I think in terms of designing plays and, and packages, um, I I think Scott Turner is very good. Um, and He's where do you, he went to the Raiders, didn't he? And Josh yep. McDaniels' staff, and obviously the Patriots when McDaniels was there were, were known for a lot of empty package stuff. And, and Scott Turner uses a lot of that empty package stuff, and and is built on that. In I saw the potential of it in Washington, but because of the the personnel that they had and the the basically the failings of the quarterback position, they they couldn't really get to it as much as they would have liked to. Um, I I think kind of the the biggest issue for me with with turner was that what you mentioned was the sequential play calling he he didn't really set stuff up particularly well um and it felt like he was running almost two separate offenses he he was i think he wanted to be this kind of pass first modern offense where you're passing the ball you're generating explosive plays you're if it it could be short quick passes to Terry McLaurin and let him run after the catch, or it could be bombs down the field. Um, but whatever it is, it's it's a lot more passing based. And then later in the second half, if you're heavy, you have a lead, then you run the ball to run out the clock. And Ron Rivera very much wanted to be the opposite of that. And and he's talked a lot about being a run first coach. And, and I mean, that is a lot of what sort of defensive minded head coaches do is they 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 feel like we want to run the ball, control time of possession play the field position game and all of that kind of stuff and and that's all well and good but it kind of limits how explosive your offense can be and so it felt like you'd go through a game and, and scott turner was like almost had two call sheets it was rivera's run offense that i'm calling on one sheet and the next drive or the next down it was i'm calling my own stuff on this other call sheet and it it none of it married It it was like they, they did very little play action stuff because they, they weren't the the run stuff was the, the run stuff individually on its own was decent. Like the designs were okay. As you said, there was some, there's some issues with the smaller details, but the actual designs, like I think they deserve a fair bit of credit for how they adjusted from last year. They had a bunch of injuries and on the interior of the offensive line, they found a bunch of athletic guys and, they were just running zone basically all game and Antonio Gibson was really good with zone running and they were generating a ton of movement and they were really good zone runners and then this year they lost obviously Brandon Sheriff went in free agency they they lost a few of the other guys they replaced them with some old Panthers guys which were kind of bigger guys less athletic and Turner deserves credit for adjusting to being like okay well we're going to use more gap scheme stuff we've got Brian Robinson who is a better gap scheme runner and they were relatively successful running the ball when they did Um, so I think he deserves credit for that, for being able to kind of halfway through a year, just go, okay, well, we're, we're changing what we do. Um, and that's fine, but he didn't then change what he wanted to do with his passing game. He didn't match up the passing game concepts. He didn't use the kind of the the same formations to show a, a play action look to, to build into the passing game. There was no natural transition from the run to the pass. It was either we're lining up in this way with two tight ends and we're we're running some kind of gap scheme or we're spreading out and we're going with 11 personnel, sometimes some funky things with the running backs and stuff and we're spreading out and we're passing the ball and there was no in between. So he, he didn't marry up those two parts of his offense very well. Um, And yeah, the sequential play calling, as you mentioned that there was no setting up things um, in part because he didn't marry up those, those two parts of his offense. But in terms of individual sort of play design, um yeah he he designed some really good stuff um and and the uh, as i said with the gap scheme stuff being able to kind of a few weeks into a season go okay we've got different personnel we need to adjust we, we kind of we have a guard that struggles to pull so we're going to use two tight ends to basically pull and and kind of run a a duo but with tight ends pulling and um and it was some quite interesting stuff and and i very successful um e- even though it wasn't like they weren't running six or seven yards a carry. They they were three or four yards a carry, but they were consistently picking that up and consistently staying ahead of the chain. So, um yeah, I, I think schematically he can do a lot of good things. It's just, I, I guess he lacks that guy you were talking about that brings it all together and kind of knows when to call which play.
0: And, it, I mean, certain concepts, you know, I always bang on a, about the idea of layering the concept, like discussing there as you want the 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 run play to match with the rpo play to match with the action for the play and shot and then to have the same formation look pre-snap as your drop back game and then in everyone's head at all times like well it could be any four of these things on one of them i'm being red you might be being read oh no it's a run player oh, no it's player that that is the idealized offense this is happening a lot in the league at the moment you look across the league like there are so many siloed offenses and some of them are pretty sick like the 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 Bengals one is probably the most infamous. They're like, no, we have two offenses. This is the run game. This is the pass game. They also happen to have Joe Montana, right? So the quarterback. That really helps. When you're really predictable in the passing game, having Randy Moss and Joe Montana, you can be, you know, you can go to AFC Championship games, right? When you have Carson Wentz, not so much of those AFC Championship games happening. So when you are floored at the quarterback spot, that's when I think it becomes so much more imperative to just have the, the perfectly layered offense. Some guys are great at it, some guys are not. And if you, as you're saying, if you're kind of getting out of your comfort zone and you're kind of, not, not freelancing designs, but you're thinking about things in different ways, like he is just very good at coming up with one-off particular designs often that do do what we said before about just rip apart a certain coverage. He is just excellent at it. But those aren't necessarily things you can always layer. On top. And often those were the layered component. to This is our this is our split back run formation. And now out of this, we're going to get to a cool passing concept they would never dream was coming out of it. And so we don't be wide open in Tampa 2. That's just what we're going to go with. And we're going to get some kind of pre snap indicator to know it's Tampa 2. And then we're all going to high five for touchdowns on the sideline. But there are only so many elements of that you can get to over time. At some point you have to have a steady layering of the offense which is where frank reich is so good consistently that's why he's always always that's why he takes a guy like went every time he gets went. you know he's has, he has went all the time he'll went to in carolina and you just see the chart of the epa but play right bombs off flies up with frank reich dives off his career again comes up a little bit with frank reich dies off again because reich's entire offense is every single concept there's about 14 of them and they're all paired and layered together some guys have it some guys don't and i think most of them it's when they are given as you said the main point with uh Rivera is you have to have full mastery and authority of the offense so I guess with the is I mean they ran the ball more this year with the Chiefs it was more 13 personnel is he coming in with Rivera understanding hot seat ish new ownership um that he is just giving it all over to the was that the agreement do we know if they spoke about it? it's probably like yes the can do whatever he wants or is it still he's hiring a coach to run an offense. This happened, we talked about this with Jack Del Rio a year ago, remember? It's like, Jack Del Rio wants to run his defense, Ron wants to run his defense, so they, they mash a call sheet together, everyone gets in trouble until they pick a lane. So, with Bien-Ami, has have they said that Biennemi can just do whatever he wants on offense Rivera's getting out of the way?
1: Uh, I don't know if that has been uh, officially like confirmed, but I, I you'd have to imagine with a guy like Biennemi's kind of resume and the success that he's had uh you'd have to imagine Rivera understands that and and his, Rivera's best chance of keeping his job for a new owner is if the team is successful and the best way for the team to be successful is if he lets BNME run the offense and then I mean he did he did give BNME the assistant head coach title as well so it's a little bit more than just being an offensive coordinator um so the impression that I'm getting is that it is going to be enemy's offense, and, and he's basically going to be head coach of the offense. Um, and uh, he's been allowed to hire a few people, I'm sure he would have liked to have hired a few more, but obviously, coaches' contracts come down under uh owner money, and uh, that is a little bit lacking at the moment. Um, so there, there's some questions there, but um, he, he's made a few of his own hires, um, and yeah, I, I think it's going to be his thing, and I, I think the The other side of that is that the enemy, like he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes, so the offense that he would run with Patrick Mahomes is obviously going to be lots of passes and 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 you know Travis Kelsey being heavily involved and and using him to to get keys off of the defense. But in Washington, he he has two good running backs uh, and, and then a set of receivers that is very very good, but a, a unknown prospect in in Sam Howell and currently nobody else on the roster. So um, you would think that he would adjust somewhat as well to being like, okay, well, we probably do need to run the ball a little bit more than what I did in Kansas City. But I I would imagine that the enemy will have, you know, Sam Howell's not some statue in the pocket. He He's a mobile quarterback. He can run, he can be involved in the run game. Um, and so you can run the ball more often by calling RPOs and read option plays and and things like that which involve how being involved in the run game to improve what the run game can do but also obviously reading a defender and and stressing a defense uh, like we saw with the chiefs doing so often they they ran a bunch of RPOs and um and they stressed so many defenders and i just remember that 49ers game where they were consistently getting um who's the linebacker with san fran Warner Frank Warner yep, Fred, Fred Warner yeah. um they were getting him out of the box over the bunch set with Kelsey, and they were just running the other way, and they'd have five defenders in the box the whole time, and the Chiefs would just kill them doing that. So, th- that kind of thing, where like it's a cold run, but it has a pass option on it, like th- those kind of things, I think is what enemy will lean on more than necessarily. I don't think he's going to go thirteen personnel, you know, duo every two plays. You know, it's not going to be run, run, pass. Um, but I think he will lean a little bit more on the run game then. Than he necessarily would in Kansas City, just because that's what the personnel probably dictates.
0: It's interesting. I wonder if this being the year where he didn't have Tyreek Hill and they they did really shape shift that offense this year, where obviously it was very heliocentric around Travis Kelsey. Like everything they're doing, we're talking about in terms of the coverage indicators and manipulating the rules. Like they have an unguardable player who is demanding resources, which makes life so much easier. As you said, they have an unbelievable collection of receivers. It is to me, we are almost in a world where in three months I would not be floored if Bezos is the team and Tom Brady's the quarterback only because those receivers, I think they're that good. I That is su- such a dynamic special group of receivers who have just not, I know that they're all famous essentially, but they've not had the chance to show how as a collective, how special they can be because they just haven't had the consistency at quarterback obviously and the line has been injured or old. So uh, but I just think that's such a special group where if you were just I don't know, say a guy who lived in darkness for four days and you're contemplating where you'd want to play football just to throw footballs to people. I can't think of a collection of three guys as a trio that you would think would be better than those guys. Like it's a very, very small list from those guys. Obviously, the Miami players, there's, there's a couple of spots you can think of, the San Fran, but it's really not a long list until you get to those guys. But I do wonder how much of the enemy, them moving to this efficient offense in KC last year, Playing with heavier personnel, whether that informs him for this season that maybe to head that way because they started all the RPO stuff and how, as you mentioned, I mean he's a he's a real mover. I don't think people quite understand what an electric athlete he is. Honestly, he's really thick. He's hard to bring down. He's tough. He's fast. He makes really good second reaction plays, and then when he drops back, he's a bomber. All he wants to do is either throw the RPO, take off, or launch bombs. He has no interest in your 15-yard dig coming around the backside. That's not his life. He says, let's get a diamond formation, baby. Let's go one-on-one shots, and I'm going to rip it. That's (laughs) what he wants to do. So I do think there's a world where you can kind of cross over from some of that stuff he wants to do. that was kind of the mid-year... KC uh, run right when they went really pace and space and vertical and they were just launching it down the field. McCall Hardman, Tyreek Hill, they had Kelsey, obviously. They were doing cool things in the backfield. With this final year, there was way more old school Andy Reid 12 personnel, 13 personnel. Let's just body people and then we'll throw the ball six yards at a clip. And then when we need to, we can run sprint right, throw back <laughs> 60 yards the other way because we have an alien at quarterback. Yeah. I, I, I do think this sets him up nicely. Um, to bring last year's offense fits better, I think, than this idea of oh, well, you can't bring the Patrick Mahomes offense for Sam Howell or whoever's lining up a quarterback. I think last year's offense, pretty much anyone could run that. Um, it's just that the the eight plays a game where he does something magic that no one else can do.
1: Yeah, I think the the big thing that I wrote a big post about what kind of offense I would make if the commanders put out this thing where Sam Howell is going to go into the offseason as QB1 um, and basically that was because they have no other choice. They were cutting Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke's a free agent, but that they they were kind of indicating that that was their intention, that they're, they're not going to go after a Derek Carr or whoever and they're, they're not going to try to spend a huge draft pick on someone. They're, they're probably going to go with Sam Howell and some veteran that is familiar with the offense um, and give how the, the season um, with obviously some competition in, in training camp and not just and making him earn it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and when they did that, I kind of thought about, well, what would be the best or the most ideal situation for what Sam Howell can do? And the kind of the curve that I came to was the, the, what the Eagles did with, with Jalen Hurts, where and they kind of fell into it a little bit midway through, what was it not the season just gone the year before where they realized that, okay, Jalen Hurts can add a lot to our offense as as a runner um, first and foremost. And and we can use a lot of, as you were talking about earlier with the, the layering concepts, we can, we can use a run look, we can change it to a gun look, we can use pistol stuff, and then we can use read option stuff. And then we can build off of that and we can turn that into RPOs. And then we can turn that into play actions. And, when you build out the offense that way and you're having a success running the ball, you're having success with RPOs, getting the ball out quickly with read options and defenders being put in binds, uh, and then the play action stuff on top of that, creating a lot of your explosives, you're really limiting what the quarterback has to do. Um, if you're running the ball 20, 25 times, your play action 10 to 15 times, maybe you're you're doing RPOs five to 10 times. You're using read options five to 10 times. By the time you've done all of that, you're only going to have five to 10 drop back passes a game where the quarterback really has to, it's all on him. And so that to me, and, and that really worked for Jalen Hurts. And then that made the offense in, in, incredibly explosive. Obviously that offensive line over there really helps <laughs> build the foundation of that. But, um, and then Washington would need to find a way to build that kind of offensive line, which is not easy, but um, if you have that kind of foundation, then you can bring the quarterback along slowly. And I think that would be the what I'd imagine enemy will be kind of trying to do with Sam Howe, where you can bring him along slowly, you can develop him with those 5 to 10 drop-back passes a game, get him more comfortable with that. If you insulate him with, okay, we're, we have a foundation of, as you said, kind of 12 or 13 personnel, we can use the different run concepts, we can, um, if, if, it's, if it's gap scheme, if it's zone scheme, whatever, the defense is is weak against. Um, we can try to match up to that. Um, and then we build off of that with Sam Howell as a, as a runner and read option stuff. Then we build off of that with RPOs and play action. You you suddenly have a, a structure and a foundation of an offense that is relatively simple for Howell in, t- in that it's not forcing him to drop back five, seven-step drops and read one to two to three to four. It's typically read one defender if he's running up we throw the ball over him if he's dropping back we hand the ball off you know it 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 makes a lot simpler and that's that's the beauty of what the chiefs were able to do with with mahomes a lot of the time as we talked about earlier it was they understand the coverage structure of a defense so well and the rules within it that if they can if the quarterback can process the information pre-snap post-snap it's a breeze it's i read this guy if, if he does exactly what i'm expecting i sort of well, you can just throw to Travis Kelsey on most plays regardless, but uh, I, I throw to Travis Kelsey if this guy breaks that way, or I throw to Michael Hardman if this guy goes here. And and that that kind of structure, I think, can work for Samuel, and you can provide him with the best opportunity for success, especially when you have weapons like McLaurin and, and Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel, guys that can win quickly. Um, if if you're running those those quick game concepts and a lot of what the Chiefs did were kind of basic West, o- West Coast offense sort of quick game concepts um, and and kind of building into more drop back stuff and and you have your your kind of drive and your scissors kind of combinations and and that kind of thing you can build into that by doing the quick game stuff and the RPOs and the read option and and the run game as all layered into it and I think that. That would be how I would, well, as I wrote, that would be how I would do it. And I I would imagine with the enemy kind of background, I would imagine that's
0: kind of how he was going going to approach it too. I think what's interesting is, this is where the league wants it this is where the league has been trending forever dating back to gronk hernandez is the power spread this is what we see with todd monken at georgia it's why every single team in the league wanted to get on a phone call with todd monken and say hey you want to come back to the nfl he's like yeah i'm only doing it for lamar jackson so (laughs) he'll make me look very smart and i'll get a head coaching gig somewhere um Uh, And you saw this, with that's exactly what the Eagles did, right? It's a power spread. They make you defend every blade of grass, all the classic spread terms. And then also the quarterback can run. That's impossible to defend. Oh, and they can pull, all five linemen can pull and move. So that's impossible to defend. And every dropback concept feels like play action because that guy might run and all those guys can pull and move. That, That was, as I've written before, that Eagles offense, that was football nirvana, just structurally. They had about 15 concepts that you physically could not defend. That's why they put up 35 points to the Super Bowl, even though they lost, because you just can't stop them. And look, how the Jalen Hurts-Howell comparison, I think, is, is really fair. I, you watch Howell in the Dallas game, the bounce and kind of the balance he plays with is really, really impressive. I mean, he can obviously sling it and then when you add in the movement stuff more so in the regain for me he was making cool run around i you know run around make some throws plays but they had like the um the option option play that kind of looked like a triple option but really he was just reading speed option and he takes it to the house right whatever like you can do really cool stuff with him if you commit to running a power spread offense but what you have to go find then is five guys who can pull them that's because the nfl is the way it's built and they're all playing five down or they're playing six down right you have to have the fifth guy you look at the two dominant offenses you run power spread creed humphrey can pull a move jason kelsey can pull a move the fifth guy you got to go find a mover at center so i think we'll it'll be pretty telling If they ID and say, we got to go and find a guy in the middle of the line of scrimmage who is a uber athlete, a super athlete. And there aren't many of those because everyone's looking for them at the moment because everyone (laughs) wants to run the power spread. Everyone wants to be KC. Everyone wants to be Philadelphia. Can you go and find a guy? It would be a shame if they became a staticky, traditional zone routine even the diamond stuff they were doing which is way more baltimore right way more greg roman right get into the diamond and if it's what it's always going to be one-on-one take a shot if you want to we can do really cool shit with the run mechanics it's almost overthinking it you can get to a lot of that stuff from YY wing from having two separate wings right getting more tight ends on the field i like the diamond formation for a young quarterback to allow him to just say rip it outside if you want to rip it outside but really the the secret sauce it those teams that were so successful is playing with two tight ends. And you've, then you've got seven guys who are crazy athletes and they can all move and pull. And then as you said, the layering becomes effortless. That's when you get Jalen Hurts going from his entire career, Alabama, Oklahoma, Philadelphia, could not throw the ball in the middle of the field. They add AJ Brown. They run the, they, the Nick Sirianni says, I'm ditching everything I've ever run before. We're running the power spread. And now I'm the best middle of the field thrower in all of football because the middle <laughs> of the field is wide open the entire yeah. game. So the thing for them, which I think is exciting, is that is difficult to do, obviously. Go find a superstar center. Not easy to do. But it is fairly cosmetic if you commit to it. It's not like having to go and find a franchise to find a quarterback. It's not like not having any weapons, right? It's like it is achievable.
1: Yeah, I I, I think it kind of all... It, it relies on having that as you say that the center that can do it and the the offensive line in general that can do it and and they they don't have those pieces right now um and, and they have a few guys that they think can be decent and and maybe with some development they might be but to if you can find that you know the ingredients for that offensive line that can that can run that then it, it all kind of naturally just falls into place and and you you have your select handful of run concepts, whatever it is you want to do, whether it's gap scheme, power counter, and all that, or whether it's more zone-based, whatever you want to do, you can quite naturally build off of, okay, we're going to run certain run plays, and then we're going to incorporate read option stuff off of that. Then we're going to build RPOs into that, and then we're going to build play actions off of all the same looks, and everyone's going to be going, where the hell do I go? And the middle of the field is going to be wide open for you know Terry McLaurin to catch and run for 90 yards so it's it it does make a hell of a lot of sense um and i think it is quite natural that it can build into that and if you have that kind of quarterback that can can rip the ball uh and but can also be that running threat that you need to operate that offense like Jalen Hurts is and and i think sam howell has the potential to do that um then i think that style of offense makes a lot of sense but yeah it's going to be like the whole off season basically has to be dedicated to we need to find our offensive line to run that and uh, perhaps that's what it will be. Um, we shall see in obviously free agency coming up whether they're actually able to spend any money with Snyder's situation or not. Um, and then obviously the draft they'll they'll probably invest quite heavily in the offensive line. I'd imagine.
0: I don't know how much you dug, dug through the draft yet, but I was just talking about this with John Legend on another podcast. Like there are fifty five percent of prospects. I'm going to say as I pull a figure straight out of my ass that I think are playing out of position in college football. I watch all these players. <laughs> like, yeah, this guy is playing the wrong, but he will never play that in the NFL. It's not the position he plays. Almost all these guards are centers, and they're playing the wrong position. Steve Avila from TCU, I think, is has a chance to be an outstanding center in the NFL. Is unbelievably fast and squat. So I'm going to call it now. Steve Avila to The Washington Commanders book it in, and then suddenly they've got their own Jason Kelsey, their Creed Humphrey, and all of a sudden they're running the power spread, and everyone's high fiving on the way to Bezos' Super Bowl, which he wins in year one. That's that's nice The team wouldn't that be a blast? Wouldn't that be a blast? That would be amazing. That would be amazing. uh, Quickly before I have to let you go, Um, where are you at with Sam Howell then? Because that Dallas game I thought was extraordinarily impressive in terms of like the. the mental make of what that game took, you know, I don't think that was the best game plan from Scott Turner. That was one of the quintessential uh, bouncing back and forth between my offense. One, because we are terrified of that number 11. He keeps wrecking everything we design. We spend all <laughs> week designing these plays and he just wrecks everything. That shouldn't be fair. And they were bouncing between, well, we've had these concepts all year. He's been practicing them all year, but really at this point in his development, he needs these six. So we'll just run these six over and over again that he's comfortable with. But the rest of our core offense is this stuff that he's not quite got a full grasp of yet. But within that context, some of the down the field i mean he's always been a great down the field bomber that's where he wants to live that stuff is really fun the mobility the escape ability we spoke about the rhythm and timing of his drops was different than it was at north carolina just great balance and bounce i mentioned before where are you at with him right now do you think there is a Hertzian ability to develop into a plus 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 starter
1: well I, the, the Hertz is the one that i keep coming back to and i i just don't want to put that pressure on him because obviously Jalen hurts is playing at an incredible level and has taken Uh, his development curve is is insane um so i don't want to put that on on howl but the the familiarity in the kind of the type of player that they are um makes me think and you know if if they're able to find that offensive line and run that same kind of system then I, i think Howell has that potential um because as you say the arm is there to rip the ball the the downfield shots, like he had two or three in that Dallas game. The one to Terry McLaurin was fantastic. The McLaurin caught perfectly in stride. But there was another one earlier in the game to Jahan Dotson down the sideline, which Dotson got to and didn't quite pull in. And and that was another great ball. And and they, he had two or three really good ones. I think the thing for me, a lot of people were calling for him to start during the middle of the season, and they kept saying he wasn't ready. And when you watch the preseason film, his his feet weren't ready at all his feet weren't matching his eyes and you could quite frequently see he was taking the wrong number of steps in his drop he he would quite often take like a three-step drop and then four hitches up into the pocket and it was like this is not how it's meant to be done um so clearly him and, and ken sampezi the quarterback coach or who now no longer the quarterbacks coach but he was the quarterbacks coach those two clearly worked a lot during the season on his footwork and from even his first touchdown pass, his first throw of the game, you could see, you know, his first read was in the flat to his right and he took his drop and he angled to his right and he lined up with the receiver perfectly in time. That wasn't there. Quickly adjusted his feet and his hips and flipped back inside, matched up with Terry McLaurin coming across the field and he threw it in, in time and found it. And there was plenty of plays where you saw his footwork was a lot better and there was, um, he clearly has a, has a good Connection with Johan Dotson, and there was a couple of curls to Johan Dotson where you know it's just a simple curl route, but you have to have the the footwork and the timing down for it. Um And, and like Dotson's been running with the first team the entire year, so he's not going to have had a a ton of reps with Dotson. And he you know got the, that footwork a lot better. He was lined up a lot better, and and he he wasn't just delivering the ball on time. He was anticipating the the route, and he was he was placing the ball. On the outside shoulder to take him up the field away from the defender, and and that was impressive stuff. So you think if if that's the kind of development he's had, and, and if if that footwork development is consistent, then that provides him with a, a really nice foundation to take more developmental steps with. Um, and then the the question that will be that he'll have to answer is: Can he handle all the information that a guy like Eric the enemy, is going to give him? Um, and, and can he process that at the line of scrimmage with, you know, 10 seconds before he has to snap the ball? Can he process, okay, on Tuesday this week, the enemy told me that if they were in this look, I need to know that this guy is yep. going here and and this rusher is coming from this side. If he can handle that, uh, um, nobody nobody outside that building is going to know if he can handle that. But if, if he can handle that, or if he can at least improve Somewhat over the course of the season, then I think there is obviously the the core foundation of traits with, with the arm and the mobility that there's a there's a good quarterback in there. Um, It's just whether whether he can handle that mental information sort of pre-snap.
0: And that's the thing is the in the week processing, which goes back to our point about the enemy and how they build out their plan is does the defense have different rules if our Superstar's at the top of the stack, if he's at the foot of the stack, if he bought our two Speeds at the top of the stack, in a stack together if we put our tight end at the top of the stack and a small guy that is the kind of detail they go into to learn what the rule is and did teams change us there and then they go global against the wrestling how is everyone else playing us in those scenarios and then what does this team show on tape and then by the time they've synthesized all that they, they roll in on wednesday and say hey when this happens this is what happens right so and uh, this is how we attack it Th- that's the most underrated aspect of Patrick Mahomes' game he's like yeah cool got it no problem yep. <laughs> and then he just goes out and executes that is not normal. It's not easy. It's why they're always not first able play. Because it's not easy, but it looks effortless when you know all the rules and you've got the alien. That, that's, that's the other yeah, With with and,
1: and the, the thing with Mahomes is obviously he's been in that system for a number of years now. So he himself will know, okay, this isn't the right look for that. And he himself can get out of a bad play and into a good one. And that's the thing that will separate Mahomes from other quarterbacks that... Like Sam Howe in his first year with Airbnb isn't going to know that, okay, this isn't the right look, so I need to change to a different play. Uh, he might know I need to change to a different play, but he's not going to know, actually, this is the other look that we considered, uh, and I need to go to this play. It's going to be more of, okay, I'm going to Kill this play and go to our kind of safe backup which will be a
0: huge huge one that the chiefs do which isn't even a radical shift is they just shift the leverage they do it that's what they do with the short motion kelsey all the time they go that corner out will be open but the leverage is fucked so what if he just shuffles four yards away and shifts the leverage And let's see if they change and if they don't change the leverage we got a touchdown that's literally what they do and it's all winks and nods and code words like that takes a lot of time it's a lot of trust and communication from the- as a staff and your whole salary is on the line the mortgage is on the line your reputation is on the line you're trying to get head coaching gigs to say you guys just go for a stroll if you're thinking <laughs> you know if that guy's butt is squeezed a little ever so slightly towards the sideline go for a little walk figure it out for us <laughs> like that is an crazy amount of freedom to give to a team and by the way travis if you catch it just pitch it to Giant mckinnon if he's open don't <laughs> worry about it we don't care we're playing rugby after the snap it's what i'm interested how much of that fr- how much of that is andy Reid? you know that that is the question mark for me that's always been my thing is i know from speaking to people in the building from listening to what they say mike kafka banged on about this all the time about what they did in the details of their game playing and how unusual it was with the specifics of not just the formation and personnel grouping, but the individual players within those groupings and getting the rules down. That was always their secret source, in their opinion. Now, once you learn that, Kafka goes to New York, right? They do the exact same thing. They are the best space manipulators in the league with guys who might not have gotten the XFL a year ago. Actually, <laughs> they're wide open. That's not because they're more talented than everyone else. It's because they knew all the rules of everyone else. They took the same process and took it elsewhere. This process can be lifted up and taken elsewhere can the extra secret sauce bits be taken where you have someone with the chutzpah let's say to allow your players to stroll around over the field <laughs> second year quarterback probably not that probably takes more time but i think that the base stuff is really promising and really exciting i think that personnel with that coach in that structure you describe more of the power spread stuff is really intriguing and really exciting i think Howell is way way further along in terms of that consistency, that was the big concern for me with him coming out the consistency. He just the base was always a mess. And from snap one, like you said, it was like, whoa, hang on a second, this is a different player. And he's just so powerful with that base, so powerful, so consistent. And it maintained throughout the game as things, you know, bullets start flying. And you, oh, I've been practicing all week, you know, Ken told me this, you know, there's a. Mm-hmm. But by you know the nineteenth rep, when Micah Parsons is coming around your ear hole, it's easy to forget all that stuff, to revert to muscle memory, go back to bad habits. He just didn't. He yeah. just contained it the entire game, and that's what's really promising to me.
1: I hundred percent agree. I, I think that that it was almost night and day in terms of what his footwork was like in preseason uh, compared to what it was in that week uh, eighteen game against the Cowboys. It, it was it was a huge shift from as I say he was he was taking three steps drops and then four hitches up or he would take a five step drop and a three hitch. And then he would take, you know, it was just all over the place with, with how many steps he was taking in the hitches and it just, none of it matched with where he was, his eyes were, his head was completely different from where his feet were. And that was, that was the alarming thing in preseason that, okay, this guy clearly isn't ready to be playing. Um And for him to over the course of a, what 18 week season from the end of the preseason or maybe 20 weeks or whatever it is, you know, to have developed that far, at least that's what it certainly seems like And it, it is a smaller sample size, obviously. And, and as you say, when when you've got guys coming around the corner at a very fast speed and they're about to knock your head off, it, it's it's very easy to revert to old mechanics. And in that game, he stood tough and then did a good job. Um, and obviously we need to see that continue. Going into next season, but on the assumption that it does, then there is a much better foundation. And then, if if you have that foundation where you can actually be trusted to match up your your mental process to the reads that are uh, and your your footwork and your your eyes to where you're meant to be looking and and be ready to deliver the ball at any given moment, then that makes it a lot easier to you know progress through the reads and stuff. So um, with and and then you can show off you know the amazing skills that he has with the the deep ball and the mobility and stuff and you can build the structure around that so if he ha- if he has and he can maintain that level of footwork and the, the fundamentals that had improved um then there is there's certainly a player there i i think um and and we'll see whether he that is a, a one off game for him in terms of his his footwork and whether he reverts back to bad stuff now that they've got a new quarterback coach and a new offensive coordinator or whether he he can maintain and, and build off of that and, and and become a kind of a promising prospect that was potentially a first-round pick a few years ago and and ended up in the fifth round.
0: All right, then. That'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Mark Bullock, thank you for joining me. People can read you at markbullock.substack.com. They can follow you throughout this offseason. This is going to be, I think, among the most fascinating storylines of the whole offseason. I'm, I'm just so interested to see what they build out. Over the course of this soft season, it's going to be interesting to see what BNME wants to do in terms of his own ideas. And we did not have to discuss Deron Payne's franchise tag. I did not ask you any Carson Wentz legacy questions. We did not have to discuss whether or not dan Snyder embezzled money or whether there's any money to hire a true staff or whether they're, they're, they they can't afford the secretaries and all the the extracurricular stuff that apparently is not happening in the building uh, this, this was fun we did all the fun stuff look we left this i, the, I left we stopped, stopped talking i was like oh my god they might make the nfc title game that, that was, i was getting very excited i was like oh my god all these guys are gonna be wide open sam hal's great uh, that's good it uh, was that cathartic for you at least uh, I mean, I'm a lot more hopeful uh, that they're, they're gonna
1: be decent, um, but uh, we, we will see. obviously every, everyone's a lot more hopeful and positive when it's uh, what well, start of March uh, end of February. Uh, when, when it comes to September, that, that hope generally in Washington fades pretty quickly but um, we, we shall
0: see. All right, we'll check in with you after the off season or over the off season to see if the the hope omita meter <laughs> rattling as high as it is right now. Thanks for doing this. Of course anytime.